Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. What follows may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. The world is full of stories. Stories of mysteries. Of curiosities. Of oddities. Join Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth for the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected, as they lift the lid and cautiously peer inside the box of oddities. Kat and I will often find unique and uh, interesting ways to keep ourselves entertained. And uh, a while ago... Just having you around is entertaining. (laughs) We bought a deep fryer a number of years ago, and we instituted what we call deep fried Saturday night. And we would dress in togas Mm -hmm. and just deep fry shit. And we we came up with some delicious... Like, for example, angel food cake. That's great deep fried. That's great deep fried. More recently, we got a beverage carbonator. Mm Mm-hmm. It's kind of like, you know, those soda stream things, but it's a different brand or something. And so we've been carbonating. Everything. Everything. What's your favorite so far? So far was when we made the mimosas with carbonated orange juice. Yeah, we carbonated the orange juice to go with the champagne. Yeah, that was pretty good. It was pretty good. And then we drank them in the pool on Thanksgiving. That was fun. That was fun. Um, My favorite so far has been, I think, the... Carbonated uh, blended scotch. Ah, uh, yes. Yeah, that did, was an interesting night. <laughs> did that. Uh, also, carbonated uh, bourbon is is quite good. And you carbonated gin one night. I did. That was really nice. I think we are, we're on to a whole new business model. <laughs> Carbonated cocktails. I'm going to do some more experimenting as soon as we're done recording. Well, I'm heading to the grocery store, so I can pick up some some things. If nice, we need them. <laughs> nice. I know how you love a story about badassery. I do. Well, here is the ultimate badass. This happened in the late 17th century. Okay. A woman during those days had very few rights. Women had no political representation. Women often would not speak out on any issues. In fact, most of the time, their husbands spoke for them. Right. Men virtually owned their wives, as they did with all marital possessions. Women did what they were told. They had very little say on how they lived their lives, and very few women ever questioned their station in life, at least publicly, with a few exceptions. Notably, a young woman named Julie Dabonier. Julie did whatever the fuck she wanted. (laughs) Julie. She was born in uh, 1673 to Gaston Dubonier, 
Uh, he was actually a pretty well-to-do guy. He was the secretary to Louis, uh, King Louis XIV's Master of the Horse. So the guy who ran the stables for Louis XIV uh, had a secretary, and that was Julie's father. No one stables like Gaston. <laughs> Her father's job was to train the court pages. No one raises women to use brains like Gaston. He would help to teach the court pages to, uh, to read, to draw, to fence, to dance. And so he snuck his daughter, Julie, into these training sessions. And she learned all of these things, the finer art of horseback riding, uh, also drinking excessively, gambling, fist fighting, and avenging your honor. Uh-huh. <laughs> Julie began her unconventional way of living at a very young age, when she was 16, and she, she decided to bang it out with her father's boss. Um, oh, Apparently, she had an insatiable uh, sexual appetite, and it was too much for this guy to handle, and her father found out. So he promoted her father, and then uh, he had her married off to some guy so that uh, they would take her away. Okay. <laughs> so, so she wouldn't be bugging him for the sex. She married a guy named Monsieur Maupin. This guy... <laughs> I'm sorry. He married her off to a man named... Monsieur Morpine? Mopine. <laughs> I, I see where you're going with this. Um, but this guy was a count. He was Count Mopine. And uh, he lived in one of the colonies. He wasn't in the immediate area. And so sure. they thought, hey, we'll marry her off to Monsieur Mopine uh, and he will take her to the colony and then she won't be bugging us to have sex all the time. Right. Because he's... Mr. Morpine. Mopine. Yeah. Mopine, mo problems. So he rarely spent any time in France, and Julie did not want to move all the way to East Bumfuck, so she stayed in France. Pretty much what she got out of the deal was a little bit of money, a wedding ring, a title, and marital status. And because of her marital status, it turned out this allowed her to get away with all kinds of promiscuous shit that she would not be able to get away with if she was unwed at the time. Well, she, since she married this guy, was she a lady? She was like a countess, I countess think. Countess yeah. more Peter. <laughs> so while her husband was away, she moved to Marseille. And there, she started getting it on with this fencing master. He also happened to be uh, on the run for murder, uh, apparently, he stabbed some dude in a back alley oh, no. outside of uh, Paris, France. So between their passionate sexual encounters, he trained Julie in the finer points of fencing. And pretty soon she became so good that she was far better than he was. And because he didn't have a whole lot of money and he was of low social status, she, she bailed on him and started giving sword fight exhibitions across Marseille. This helped her not only raise a little bit of money, but also she honed her skills as a fencer, as a sword fighter. But she had a really unique way of doing it. She'd be in a pub and she'd draw her sword and then she would challenge anyone in the audience to battle her and she would sing a couple of songs. And then if she had any takers. Was this a musical? Yeah, it's like a musical. <laughs> and if there were any takers, anybody challenged her, she would then uh, burst into a song that would humiliate them. She she would have a song that would make fun of it was kind of it was like, like a rap battle. Yeah, it was like a yeah, exactly. A Baroque period Parisian rap battle. 
Her fencing ability was damn near supernatural at the time. She was incredible. And after she would thoroughly destroy any and all challengers, people began to suspect that she was, in fact, not a woman, but a man. Some sort of a badass cross-dressing musketeer. So when that happened, she would respond by ripping open her blouse and telling the audience to, quote, judge them for yourselves. (laughs) This chick knew what she was. Oh, yeah? (laughs) All right. What do you think of these? Here's where it starts to get really weird. Oh, geez. Apparently, during one of her musical emasculating ditties uh, sung in a pub, there were some powerful people connected to the opera there. And they thought, my gosh, she's got a lovely singing voice. So they signed her to perform in some of the top opera productions of the time. (laughs) And in pretty quick order... She went from insulting people in pubs and stabbing them in the lower intestines with sharp, pointy things to the lead actress in the world's most respected opera house. Uh, She went by the name La Moupine. She took to it immediately, too, and it, it seemed people were amazed at how quickly she learned her lines and learned her parts. It was later thought that perhaps she had some sort of a photographic memory. Well, I mean, apparently she's great at everything she does. Pretty much. She's like some sort of savant. Now, it's true you can change the outer appearance of a person, but it's a little more complicated to change the inner person. Her sexual appetite was voracious, and she loved a sword fight, so it wasn't... (laughs) Yeah, she did. She wasn't... (laughs) When she wasn't sword fighting, she was sleeping with most of the men and women in the opera house. Sometimes she did both. One day she caught an actor who was being overly aggressive and sexually suggestive to one of her uh, female friends and some say lover. So she went up to him and said, hey, knock it off. And he told her to mind her own bitch business. He's leaving the opera house late at night and he's walking along the street and he sees Julie just kind of leaning up against a light post. I, I picture her like picking her teeth with her rapier. Yeah, all James Deany. She drew her weapon and challenged him to a duel for honor. And he's like, yeah, right. I'm not going to fight you. And he refused to engage. He would not pull his sword. So Julie beat the shit out of him with a wooden cane and stole his watch. (laughs) The next day rolls around. They're at work at the opera house. And this guy comes in and his face is just, he's all marked up. And they were like, what What the hell happened to you? So he concocted some crazy story about how he was jumped by bandits who beat him within an inch of his life and stole his watch. Sure. Julie was listening to this, and at that point, she pulls out the guy's watch and exposes him as a liar. (laughs) (laughs) And then to punctuate it, she said, if you want the watch back, you need to get down on your knees and beg forgiveness in front of all of your co-workers, which the guy did. Nice. And then he, he got his watch back. At this point, it was becoming quite well known that Julie was bisexual. In the stories of her swordsmanship and fencing duels, Often the underlying theme was uh, it was a fight over either female lovers or chambermaids that she had seduced. She would actually fight other guys over a woman and win. Right. On one occasion, (laughs) she was at a royal ball in the palace of King Louis XIV. She was the guest of Louis's brother, Prince Philippe. I bet she's been the guest to more than one royal ball, if you know what I mean. (laughs) She shows up dressed like a man, which was quite scandalous at the time. She was wearing a scarlet tunic 
and immediately just started dancing and hitting on all the hot chicks in the room. And this was embarrassing to a lot of the, uh, the young noble men suitors who were there to try to find a wife or a girlfriend or something. And Julie knew that she was pissing him off. So she took it a step further. She tongue kissed a beautiful blonde marquee in front of the entire royal family in court. Just oh tongue kissed her. I approve of the act, but the term tongue kiss is so gross. <laughs> <laughs> there were three noblemen in the group who took exception to this. They told Julie, Julie they went up to her and, and they told her, you know, you need to start acting more like a lady. And Julie was like, oh, yeah, well, why don't we take it outside in the parking lot? And so the four of them went outside the palace where she challenged them all to a duel, defeating them one at a time in consecutive <laughs> duels. She then immediately went back into the party and left her opponents bleeding in the driveway. Clearly, this was scandalous. And she needed to keep her head down for a while because this was at the royal court. Right. So until things cooled off, she decided to move to Brussels and have an affair with the German prince who happened to be there because he was in charge of ruling over the Spanish Netherlands. By this time, she had developed quite a reputation as being a lover and a fighter, often at the same time. One night, she was uh, back in the pub performing just, you know, I guess for old time's sake, singing her taunting, emasculating songs mm -hmm. in front of a rowdy crowd. And three drunk patrons started giving her some shit. So she challenged them to a duel. They went out to a grassy courtyard. And uh, this time, all three of them jumped her at the same time oh, no. with swords drawn. Julie. She drew hers. And made quick work of all three of them, leaving them in the courtyard with multiple stab wounds. And she went back into the tavern and finished her drink. The next day, she's, have, she's feeling remorseful. She's feeling kind of bad about it. Aww. So she decided to kind of make amends. And she went to the room of one of these guys to see how he was doing. And then seduced him and carried on a torrid love affair with him for several weeks. Now, think about that. That is amazing. This chick can stab you in the intestines mm -hmm. and then still seduce you. Yeah, yeah, that's, <laughs> she, that's some control. She had some power. But one of the most amazing things that this woman ever did is something that really personifies 17th century badassery. One day, Julie sees this beautiful young blonde woman and she seduces this blonde woman and the woman falls in love with Julie. The parents of the woman were shocked they try to prevent their daughter from carrying on a relationship with Julie. Can't keep someone away from Julie. Well, they thought they had the perfect plan. They uh, put her in a convent where she became a nun. Even this wasn't enough to deter Julie. In fact, she took it as a bit of a challenge. That seems right. Sounds like Julie, doesn't it? Yep. Julie's plan was to, and she did, she took the holy orders and entered the convent as an initiate so she could bang this nun. No. Julie. Which she did. Oh, man. She banged the nun. She snuck her out of the convent and then burned the convent to the ground. No, Julie. She then shacked up with the nun for about a month just to make a point. But she did eventually settle down. She returned to Paris where she reunited with her original husband, Mopine, and resumed her career on the opera stage as one of the biggest opera stars of the day. She passed away in 1707 of unknown causes at the ripe old age 
of 37. Holy wow. She did all of that before she was 37. That was quite the sabbatical. (laughs) (laughs) My information came from Wikipedia and Atlas Obscura. Amazing. Julie Dolmenier, the 17th century bisexual French opera singing, master of fencing, 10 men killing, holy orders taking, convent invading, nun banging arsonist. (laughs) Oh, Julie. And now, that thing in the middle. This is the story of Sigurd the Mighty, the second Earl of Orkney. Sigurd was a leader in the Viking conquest of what's now northern Scotland. He was a pretty ruthless guy on the battlefield. After defeating one foe, he cut the guy's head off and hung it from his horse's saddle. Over a period of time, the teeth in this head began to graze ever so gently against his legs as he rode. The ride was apparently long enough that it broke the skin and caused an infection, which ultimately killed Sigurd the Mighty. We were watching you during that story that Jethro just told. We saw what you were doing. Damn, you turn us on. This is The Box of Oddities. I've got to tell you, the longer we've had our aura frame, the more I love it. I have kids. And they live about 3,000 miles away. And my daughter is expecting a child. And she has been sending me updates on her baby bump through the aura frame. And since I can't be there to experience it with her, it's the next best thing. And speaking of mothers, if you're looking for the perfect gift to celebrate your mom in your life, Aura Frames are beautiful Wi-Fi connected digital picture frames. It allows you to share and display unlimited photos. It's super easy to upload and super easy to share photos with the Aura app. And here's the thing, if you're giving Aura as a gift, you can even personalize the frame with preloaded photos and memories. We love Aura Frames and living so far away from family, thanks to Aura, it's the next best thing. It's like, it's like almost being there. And right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Box of Oddities freaks can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off, plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A frames.com. Use code Oddities at checkout to save. That's A-U-R-A frames.com and use code Oddities at checkout, and you will save. Thanks, Aura Frames, for bringing my family a little bit closer. This message is sponsored by Greenlight. You know, as your kids get older, there are some things about parenting that gets easier. I remember once hearing my sister tell my little niece, if you put your pants on, I'll give you some fresca. And when kids can start to reason that they get something if they do something right, it's a lot easier to manage them. Having that conversation about money with your kids, that's not the easiest thing in the world. Fact is, kids won't really know how to manage their money until they're actually in charge of it. And that's where Greenlight can help. Greenlight is a debit card and money app made just for families. Parents can send money to their kids and keep an eye on the kids' spending and savings. While kids and teens build money confidence and lifelong financial literacy skills. Your kids will learn how to save, invest, and spend wisely thanks to the games that teach kids skills in a fun, accessible way. When I was a kid, I had expected chores and then I had 
bonus chores. And bonus chores were where I earned money. And so if you're thinking like, hey, my kids should be doing stuff around the house. Yeah, no, you're not wrong. But maybe there's extra ways that they can learn how to be a successful financial money person. What was one of the bonus chores that you had to do? (sighs) Rub my mom's feet. And what did that pay? I don't know, like a quarter or something. Millions of parents and kids are learning about money on Greenlight. It's the easy, convenient way for parents to raise financially smart kids and families to navigate their life together. Sign up for Greenlight today and get your first month free when you go to greenlight.com slash oddities. That's greenlight.com slash oddities to try Greenlight for free. Greenlight.com slash oddities. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Support for The Box of Oddities is provided in part by listeners like you on Patreon. You can support us too. Go to patreon.com slash box of oddities. Thank you. The Box of Oddities with Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth. We got a message from Jill and absolutely wanted to share this uh, regarding our episode about the Soviet Union and the Bones records. Oh yeah. The jazz jazz on Bones. Jazz on Bones. Yeah, that one. Right. Jill writes, The latest episode brought me back to the Soviet Union in 1987. For unknown reasons, I was running around Moscow and Leningrad as an American teenager trading things with young Soviets. Wow. 1987. That's a pretty incredible teen years activity. Those were the Gorbachev years. The trip was somewhat supervised and a part of a class project paid for by my Ukrainian grandmother. I can't sum up the tragedy I witnessed and internalized, but I can tell you the young people were not looking to buy Prince records. They wanted birth control, condoms. Mm. Mm. Imagine living four families to one apartment and you find out you're pregnant. Abortions are legal, but the wait list for them is very long. You would often be six to seven months along before they got to you. Imagine being pregnant and unable to provide for a baby. It would starve and having to wait six months for an abortion, no birth control and no access to swift abortions. Most women had multiple late term abortions by the time they were in their early 20s. Oh, my God. That was just the horrifying truths that was Soviet life in the 80s. Another thing I remember is that nobody spoke on public transit. If you laughed loudly in public, you disappeared. What? We will never know the true depths of hell experienced by the beautiful Soviet people. I loved your story about the 50s records because I could picture the young people with their bright clothing. I saw the youth doing the same thing 30 years later. And even recently, Pussy Riot. That's right. What an incredible story and experience. And it must have been so rough to... To experience at the same time. I love hearing about personal firsthand experiences like this. That's that's incredible, Jill. Jill, thanks for sharing it with us. So I've received a lot of emails. First of all, I got a lot of emails, people complaining about the what you got for me jingle. Right. So I I dumped it from the show. I haven't run it for months. And now I'm getting complaints from people who 
I want to hear the What You Got For Me jingle. Right. So I was thinking maybe I'd play it for the holiday season, but that's not much of a holiday gift to those who hate it. Mm -hmm. So I made a Christmas version. What you got, what you got, what you got for me. What you got, what what you got, what, what, what you got for me. Well, that was festive and bright. I love it. I thought. I'm officially in the Yuletide spirit. Excellent. My work here is done. Yeah. Your work, however, is just starting. Gonvi is a lake village in Benin. It lies in the Noku Lake near Kontanu. I have no idea where any of those places are. I'm embarrassed to say. Well, you know where Africa is. Uh, I have a general idea, yes. Okay. So Gonvi Village, which is often dubbed the Venice of Africa, has about 20,000 residents. And Gonvi is probably the largest lake village in Africa. All right, so it is a lake village. It's not near a lake. It's on a lake. So like huts and houses built on poles over the water? The entire village oh, stands on stilts in really? the middle of the lake. The whole village does? The whole village. Why didn't they just build on the land? Well, that's what, what I'm going to get. I'm, oh, Yeah, okay. we're going to get into that. Yeah, I yeah. guess that was an obvious question. Right, yeah. <laughs> I'm going to shut up. Yeah. <laughs> There are approximately 3,000 stilt houses in Ganvi today. The structure of these houses is generally built using red ebony wood, which is resistant to rotting and then, you know, ideal for stilts. Other types include bamboo and also other types of wood, but teak, they maybe. may not last as long. Maybe teak, I don't know. The walls are generally built out of palm fronds, while originally thatched roofs have now mostly been replaced by corrugated metal sheets. The village has its own shops, church, mosque, restaurants, hospital, hotels, etc. Wow. All of these buildings built on stilts. Ganvi villagers are often referred to as watermen, and the village women tootle around their small dugout boats to sell produce, such as tomatoes and peppers and such. It's like they have these boat convenience stores, <laughs> and they just go around selling their stuff out of their, their boats. They're called like pirogues, I think. It's like the precursor to DoorDash. <laughs> it's just like that. Only the school and the cemetery were built on solid ground. <laughs> That's probably the cemetery. School, I think they could get away with, but the cemetery kind of has to be on solid ground. Well, the soil needed in order to do so was brought in on boats by the villagers. Lake Noku is not terribly deep, and residents of Ganvi sometimes make artificial land for various reasons. Um, these patches are used not only for occasionally having goats or something like that, but also to teach children to walk. Wait a minute. So they fill in part of the lake yep. so that they can bury their dead and teach kids to walk. And feed their goats. And feed their goats. Wow. Yeah. Because obviously children aren't going to learn to walk very well in, in boats and stuff. There are few there are a few potable water pumps throughout the village, as ironically, the water that they live on, that they're surrounded by, is not safe to drink. Well, not with all the dead bodies and goat shit in it. And toddlers. <laughs> no, they usually keep the toddlers out of the lake. Gonvi was created during the 16th century by the Tofino people who lived near what is now Contino. 
when the Portuguese came to Benin, beginning in the 15th century, they began to capture people to sell as European slaves. In some cases, Portuguese people enlisted the help of one ethnic group in Africa to capture people from another, even though in the end, obviously, no indigenous group was safe from that trade. The Tofino people took to the lake to avoid the Fawn tribe. According to legend, the Fawn tribe believed that water demons lived in the lake. And so they would not go out there to capture those people. Now, the lake is brackish water. It's connected directly to the ocean via a channel, but it's not made of demons. There is another version of the story that has uh, crocodiles helping the Tofino by carrying the wood for their new homes on their backs. And because of this, crocodiles are revered and celebrated. But it, in fact, it actually seems that the Tofino were taking advantage of a law followed by the Fawn people, which forbade the Fawn from attacking any settlements on water. That was a thing. Yeah. Are the Fawn people still around? Yes. Okay. Do they have any interest in attacking these other people if they were on land? You're asking if the danger is yeah. is over and they could now lo- move to land? And they're electing to continue to live on water stilts. No, it's part of their culture now. This is okay. who they are. Wow. There are two main sources of income for the village, fishing and tourism. Fishermen trap and breed fish using underwater fences made from bamboo and nets. It's an incredible and ingenious system. I don't entirely understand it. And Ganvi is about an hour drive from Kontanu, which is Benin's biggest city. So if you're going to get there, you have to take a taxi, which is like a motorcycle taxi called a Zem, to the boat dock. And then you would take a tourist boat with a guide included for the tour, which takes about two hours. And they'll take you to the village and to a restaurant and a souvenir shop and so on and so, so this, forth. this must be a massive lake. It's really not. Really? Because it sounds like it would... It and it's would... only like six feet deep. Okay. Wow. <laughs> so you could wade out there if you wanted to. I mean, if you're tall enough. I certainly could not. <laughs> we'll get you some lifts, some aqua lifts. So it's a pretty incredible community built for a terrible reason, obviously, but they've made this this culture out of it. And it's no wonder that the village was added to the UNESCO World Heritage tentative list mm-hmm. in 1996 because of its incredible history, its beautiful culture, and its people who invite you in to see their their place, which is so amazing. How elaborate are these structures? Like the hotel, for example, would that be like like a Holiday Inn? Probably not a Holiday Inn, mm. um, but it works. And it's a place where you can stay as a tourist because that's how they make money. A Holiday in the Lake. I see what you did there. Yeah. yeah. I took one of the ends off. Yeah. Yeah. Of inn. Yep. Dad jokes. I don't even know where I was going. Um, I would love to see this. It's really, it's difficult to um, picture like going around this village, which they're just living their lives. And I would feel a little weird just being like, ooh, look, they're just living their lives. (laughs) You know, it would feel a little weird. But I think I still want to see it. So I don't know exactly how to resolve those two emotions. (laughs) 
It's like that Twilight Zone episode where they land on an alien planet and the aliens take the earthlings and they put them in this beautiful track home and they give them everything they want the zoo yeah yeah and then the walls open up and they're in a zoo the human zoo people just observing them yeah looking at them saying wow isn't that quaint so it's like that it's sort of like that without the space travel right yeah plus delicious foodstuffs so is this going to go on the to-do list oh it's absolutely on the to-do list Yeah, travel bucket list okay all right cool i got most of my information from amusing planet from Lori wanders wikipedia of course field study of the world and culturally modified want to thank everybody who's written us or sent us messages wishing uh, howard a speedy recovery he's doing great he's doing great he's in fact he's curled up in cat's lap right now sound asleep we did find out though because we had uh uh, an embark test done on him that uh, he has a liver issue, which is not good considering he consumed 14 days worth of painkillers last week. Well, he doesn't have a liver issue. He's at risk for liver and kidney issues, oh, okay. which are the two things that were most affected by his recent drug overdose. Yeah, well, he's doing fine now. He seems completely normal. Uh, well, <laughs> well, not normal. Normal for Howard. <laughs> <laughs> and we do appreciate the thoughts and the cards again if you want to check out our merch store during the holiday season there's some specials going on there i'm not really sure what they're doing over there but uh, it, it can save you some money all you got to do is go to our website theboxofoddities.com and uh, there's all kinds of cool stuff you can do there thanks so much for supporting and representing boo the box of oddities is available on all major podcast platforms including Amazon Music. We'll see you next time. Until then, keep flying that freak flag. Fly it proudly, you beautiful freak. And so, let it be known that the box of oddities belongs to you, and its fate is in your hands. Therefore, it's been requested by those to whom I report to beseech you for assistance. We ask but one thing of you, to provide a five-star rating and a positive review. True, That is, two things. However, tis merely a five-star rating and a positive review. Also, subscribe to us. Okay, so three things is all we ask. Three things and three things only. Henceforth, the Box of Oddities commits to the telling of stories. Stories of the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected. We wish to offer our deeply felt gratitude and appreciation for your patronage. The Box of Oddities.com. Copyright 2021. All rights reserved. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Our show features our team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more and they'll help you make the most of your money while cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. You'll get clarity on strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Do you love history but hate when it's stuffy and boring? Well, look no further and join me, Katie Charlwood, your friend, the neighborhood social scientist and reader of books, as I delve into unsolved historical mysteries, murders by gaslight, and of course, women who have been misrepresented through all time. 
on Who Did What Now, the history podcast that's not your history class. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.